My name's Ruth and I'm an inventor and engineer. And I've always been fascinated by the people that make the world around us. From the homes we live in, the tech that we use, to the jewellery that we wear. I want to meet the people who really shape the world around us and find out how they made it. Welcome back to my part two with Fran Scott. Fran is a maker, presenter and pyrotechnician. And in part two, we talk about when things go wrong, Fran's company and what it does and her dyslexia diagnosis. So from the outside, it seems like everything always goes right for Fran. And I know that's not the case, but can you tell us a time where you failed at something? So at the Science Museum, we had this radio show and um, sorry, we could be part of what was it? BBC Seven radio show. And we would go on and we would answer um, children's questions. Right. When I say we, it was the same person every week that had just been picked. And when I came into it, it was like um, when I came into being an explainer, it was like this person always went and did it. And then they were like, maybe we should make this a bit fairer and have like because there are lots of people that would benefit and enjoy this and maybe we do auditions and so I remember 14 of us applied to do it within so it was like a sort of bonus that you could do within your job and I I prepared so and you can't prepare for this thing but like that's the way that's the way I work I work you know that's the way I did all my exams like surely if I put in enough hours I can do this, um, but you can't prepare for this. And in a way, sometimes the more you care, the worse you are, um, which is awful because you're like, I, I can't not care. Um, so we went and we did our auditions and seven people could get it, right? So I was like, I just need to be in the top half. And I didn't get it. And I was devastated at absolutely devastated um not only for not getting it but that to me was you're not good enough why what are you even trying this for um you're not good enough out of 14 people to get in the top seven for something that you are wanting to do on telly you don't stand a chance and I was uh, I didn't know what to do with myself um so it was fine and and what was really interesting was some people would come to me and be like I'm thinking of doing this should I do this and I was like oh, yeah <laughs> good luck <laughs> um but someone was ill one week and they said Fran do you want to step in and I was like yeah 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 yes I do yes 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 I do um so I remember working really hard you know doing this and I went to the radio show and did this radio show massively enjoyed it and the uh i don't even know who it was someone came in at the end and said so and so would like to speak to you and it was someone at the bbc and my heart dropped because i was like what did i do wrong i'm in trouble and they sat me down and they said did you enjoy that and i said yes like and you know you're just waiting for them to say get out we're suing you and they said we have a new show coming and we'd like you to interview for it. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, as it happened, it was uh, preschool. So you had to sing 
and I am not like I am not a singer but to me it was that maybe I am good enough it just goes to show that like in terms of no's are going to happen and and yeah they're going to affect you and and but I suppose it's that think about why they affect you and and in a way it's really it's it's I was gonna say it's hard for presenting but it's hard for anything where you don't have a box to you know like in terms of an exam uh people can look at my vocab and look at how I express myself and go you don't know about science and I can go hey I got a first class in neuroscience tell me that again like um you have that sort of uh defense that you can go I am I am good enough I can do this whereas a lot of the things in life there is there are only people that are gatekeepers not um degrees or qualifications or anything and that's really hard when you're having to constantly believe in yourself and you've got nothing to flag why you should <laughs> believe in yourself unless you're just being one of these egotistical people that think they can do so much and actually you, you really can't so tell us a bit about your business so my business was a little bit because so TV is interesting. TV, you are thrown into people's living rooms, whether they want you there or not. Um, and so your face gets known, your name gets known. And so I was getting more work in than I could possibly do. I I actually got burnout. Um, it took me ages to realise it was burnout. Um, one of the things, which is a, a byline, is I remember going to the doctors and saying, I'm really tired all the time. Um, I had eczema all around my eyes and my eyes wouldn't quite open properly and my feet wouldn't fit in shoes. And they said, have you frozen your eggs? And I was like, can we talk about the fact that my eyes don't open? Like, is that a thing? Can we? Um, so anyway, they thought I had ME um, and... Like literally my feet, my feet wouldn't fit in shoes. I just had to wear flip-flops and sandals. And it was the time when Dick and Don was doing well. All of the spin-off stuff was happening. Um, it was a wonderful, you know, getting nominated for three BAFTAs. What? Like it it was a wonderful time. But um, and obviously my agent was riding off this <laughs> lot. And um a job of an agent is to protect you as well and you know, keep that balance right. And basically it took me about probably eight months to realise it was burnout. And yeah, so that was a thing. Um, but so much work was coming in that I couldn't do it as a one-woman band. And so I was like, this is interesting. This gives me an opportunity to train other people and to share share the lucky randomness that it just happens to be my face that was the one that was there and did this and did that, did that, that was thrown into people's living rooms that now they know me, um, that now companies are coming to me to do stuff. So I decided, okay, this school show that I've got, I will grow and train other people to do it and then they can go out and do it. And I remember I was like, I'm going to pay people, right? I'm going to feed them. And I remember getting in a group of about seven freelancers and the day cost me so much money and I got them in and we hired a space and we trained them and I think only one of them has ever been out to a school because 
what happened was my business completely changed through a random meeting. Um, so at that time, it was Era 404, which I was doing, which was I'd sort of realized what my speciality was. And my speciality was taking a complex subject, no matter what it was, but taking a complex subject and coming up with demos to show the science or engineering behind that subject. And it didn't matter what that subject was. And it was at that time when the Raspberry Pi was released and there was a big coding push. And everyone was like, what are coding demonstrations? We need coding demonstrations. And I was like, I don't know, I don't code. So I was like, well, learn to code. So I learned to code and came up with this explosions-based coding show. And so I was like, brilliant, we'll take this out to schools and do it. But what happened is in that process, I'd been invited to BET to speak and I was like, got my flyers. So I was like going around bet being like, hey, um, and I went to the Google stand and I went, hey, I've got this explosion based coding show. Uh, do you want to do it? <laughs> and Google said, actually, um, I saw you because I did at that point I was doing the um, the gig with Brian and Robin Ince at the Apollo. And. They'd seen me do a little snippet from it. They were like, I've been meaning to find you um, because we think this could be a good fit with our Google for Education thing. And so we toured the UK doing um, uh, doing Era 404 with some of those freelancers, actually, that I trained with the idea of them just going into schools. Um, actually, I did use more of them than I thought, maybe about four or five. So they toured the UK. I did a few shows, but stepped back. Um, we got one of my tour managers and stuff and they went around the country and did it. And I, I can be ever grateful for Google for Education for showing me my business model. Um, rather than targeting schools where the admin is a lot, you know, I was like, brilliant. There are these big businesses that need, if Google is coming to me for help, what? Like... That blew my mind. And so from that, it's been it's been wonderful. Um, we've never advertised. And I don't quite know how people have found me, but I've got these emails. And what is really nice about once we get a client, we don't really lose them. Um, so my clients, we've all been going for six years now. And I get what I love is I get to train other people and give them that confidence. You know, they're now under national grid banner or siemens banner just like i was under science museum banner and i i'm there not only to give them the opportunity to do the show um but then i'm also uh, they come to me with probably you know which is uh, i don't be like oh i'm so good i'm helping but you know but like they they've got that sounding board um but also there are opportunities that I get that don't work for me for whatever reason that instead of me now saying no, I say, I can't, but this person can. And it's really wonderful that. And I really want actually, I haven't been able to grow the business that much because I got my part-time job at the RI, which I do like, um, but it's taken up more time than I thought it would. And I really want to grow my business a bit more because I feel as if it's it's meaningful and actually it's a way for me to make that difference that I started out doing because it's all well and good. Um, I 
and it's corny, you know, I can only get myself on so many TV programs. And as we know, the TV is such a shallow world, let's call it for what it is, you know, and you might be wrong or right for who knows what reason. If I can train other females and people to be TV presenters and be presenters, then maybe they're right for something. And it just means that actually that field of people to choose from is a bit more representative and a bit more fair. And so, and we're doing all of that while paying them right. Um, And so it really excites me because I'm like, oh, I would have loved to work for me. (laughs) Because there's a bit of this view in terms of if you want to be a presenter, cool, you've got to not earn money. You've got to do that. You've got to you've got to earn your keep. And that, again, is a barrier to people and why we see the same faces again and again. And I try to seek people out as well um, because there is a bit of like... I start and I did recruit wrongly, I would say at first, but I'd be like, you come to me if you're interested. And of course, you're going to (laughs) get those people that potentially don't need that opportunity as much as those that if you actually seek them out. Um, And it's been, I feel it's worthwhile. And I like it well, because it earns me money, it earns them money, it gets a message in a meaningful way that could have just been squandered before. You know, these companies have money to give to get a message across. There are so many companies out there that don't specialize in science communication, but just specialize in communication. And they're making the same rookie mistakes when it comes to science communication. Whereas we are a company that specializes in science communication with this message. And there's not many of those around. And we have this experienced, diverse workforce who, yes, we're expensive because we're going to pay them right. But I don't want to not pay them right. And if you want people that you're not going to pay right, don't come to me. A massive thank you to the Royal Commission for the Exhibition of 1851, without whom this podcast would not be possible. Check out their website, royalcommission1851.org, to find out more about some of the other incredible projects they've supported. I know that you've mentioned this publicly now, but can you tell us a little bit about your recent dyslexia diagnosis? Um, so, uh, yeah, 13 months ago, I still haven't filled in the form. I need to fill in the form. The, the most ironic thing about getting diagnosed as dyslexia is they tell you you are dyslexic in a multi-page form. They are literally telling you, you can't read a multi-page form. Here's a multi-page form telling you that. And um, so I actually haven't felt read the full report. I've read the sort of <laughs> the infographic. <laughs> um, but in my true workaround style, I've sent it to people that I trust and they've told me what's in the report, um, which is good enough for me. Um, so, yeah, 13 months ago, I was diagnosed with dyslexia. Um, I'm 38. Uh, I was 37 at the time. and it it made everything make sense and uh i'm glad i wasn't diagnosed at an early age because it um and i'll go into why in a bit but the process of getting diagnosed was really interesting so i have 
I had a job at the Science Museum for three years. It was very much a practical job. I wasn't at a computer. I was standing. I was on the floor. I was presenting shows. Um, other than that, I have worked freelance through my entire career. It was only in 2017 that I decided that I wanted to be a part of a team. I didn't want to lead the team, and I wanted to be part of a consistent team. And and so I applied for a job at the Royal Institution, and I became their science content producer. And what was interesting was I was in the same office with the same people every day I was working. And there were things over those years, it's been so interesting because when you are working with the same people, there's these nuances that you have that you assume that other people have. So at the RI, there is a place called the Young, I need to think about it, it's called the Young Scientist Centre. So its acronym is, you can see me spelling it out, is YSC. Okay. And and I would just say, I, I remember saying in passing, I said, the YSC is such a hard acronym, isn't it? Because Y is like J and C is like S and S is like C. So it's like every letter I could get wrong. And the whole office was silent. And they were like, no. I was like, yeah, you know, Y is like J. And they were like, no. And I was like, do you not? do you not think Y is like J? And they were like, no. And I was like, and C is like S? And they were like, no. I was like, oh. And um, so, but I was like, oh, well, I do. You know, I was like, oh. And, um, and then there were, and I've sort of always said that I had number dyslexia as a bit of a, a bit of a joke, you know. I can't, if someone tells me their number, I can't write it down. Um. And one of the things that was coming out was there's lots of these charge codes that we had to use and things like that. And my problem is I will, I can see a number written down and if I have to write it down, I write it down correctly. But if I have to say it in the process of writing it down, the words I say will be wrong. So say if it's, and I've got to think about what I say here, say if it's 525, I would probably say 252, but I would have written it down 525. And what was interesting was I could do that. If I'm working by myself at my house or whatever, I could do that and not notice because I just did it. And um, and sometimes actually when I was presenting shows, I would notice in the face of people that I was presenting to, they'd be like, uh, I'd be like, did I say the wrong number? And they'd be like, yeah. I'd be like, oh, you knew what I meant. And they'd be like, yeah, we did. And it was just sort of a thing that we did. And um, and when I was in an office and I'd write something down, people would be like, you know, you said the other number. And I was like, oh, did I? I was like, oh, but I wrote down the right one. And that's what matters, right? And it was these little things that actually the people that work and this is one thing that I found throughout my like oh don't <laughs> I know we're not allowed to swear so I would say always be a nice person would be my one thing be, like and be kind is brandished about as this thing but it's so important and not just be kind just if you can't be kind just don't be unkind and it's so important and the people that work at the RI, especially in the office that I was in, it's all changed now because of we've all been moved around and things, but the people that were in my office were 
absolutely delightful people, but all so different from each other. And it was an absolute joy to be part of it. And uh, I'll say his name. I don't know if he like, but Martin, Martin, who runs the, um, he runs the public programs. So the lecturers that come in, um, he's the one that organizes all that. He is so knowledgeable and I could just talk to him for hours. And he actually said, Fran, I think you might be dyslexic. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, like, cause I can't, I can't do this and I can't, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, I, 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 I do. And he said, I don't mean to, I said, I'm not offended. I was just like, I just never thought of that. And I was like, oh, well, what happens next? Like, how do you get tested for dyslexia? Um, so I, did I tell my boss at that point? I think I just went home and, you know, when you just try and fix it, you know, you YouTube it. You So I was trying to get in touch with my, I think I set up a meeting with my doctor. Um, and I said, hey, I think I might be dyslexic. What do I do? <laughs> and they were like, oh, you need to tell your counsel or there will be some diagnosis for your local counsel. So I remember looking for this and it was fine if I was a child, but I wasn't considered a child. And so I was looking of how to get diagnosed or at least, and people were like, well, why do you want to? And I was like, well, actually, I think I just want to just want to figure, I just want to know, I suppose. If, if, if someone thinks I might be, it makes sense to just sort of have a look because there might be things that can make things easier. And I was discussing with a lot of people and even um, some of the people I was like, oh, someone says I might be dyslexic and I should get tested. And actually people were responding with, are you not? I just thought you were dyslexic. <laughs> and the more I sort of asked people, they were like, oh, we just assumed you were. And I was like, oh, did no one think to tell me this? Um, and so, yeah, with the local authority, it was just really hard. And it actually got me a bit frustrated that I was like, I'm a person who searches and does research for their job. And I can't find out how to do this. Um, and... You know, at first you look at the page, you go, oh, yeah, I'll be able to. Oh, no. And then I did a little test online and it came out that I had mild dyslexia. So I was like, OK. And then I actually went back to my boss and I was like, I can't find how to get tested. And he was like, why didn't you say we can help you? And I was like, oh, is this what happens? Like when you work at a place, <laughs> like, like there's people that can help you. And our HR manager was wonderful and dyslexic. And he was quite late being diagnosed. So he was wonderful. And he was like, absolutely, we will book you in for a testing. Um, and it was always a bit because the testing was always like, are you free next week? And I was like, oh, no, I'm doing this. And so like it got delayed and delayed and delayed. And um, and yeah, we ended up sitting down for this testing. And it was mind blowing. Um because uh, like one of the things is just, you know, there's the classic, and yes, but just, there was so many things that you wouldn't expect that would happen in a dyslexia test, but a spelling test is probably one that you would expect. And I got on quite well with the assessor and she was like, we're going to do a bit of a spelling test. I was like, I can tell you now that I can't spell character just so you know, like I guess it every time, even, even word, check word, whatever the word spell, what, you know, the word I'm looking for doesn't recognize it. And so she was like, and she can't give anything away. And um, so she was going down the list and, you know, number three, character. And I was like, ah, funny. And there were lots of little things that she was testing. And it was it was 
so eye-opening that I, basically, I am so characteristically dyslexic, like absolutely, completely textbook. And how do you feel now that you've been officially diagnosed? <laughs> yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was an honour because I, I had always wondered why people didn't see the world in my way. And I just thought they weren't looking hard enough. But then I realized that I can see it in a different way. It's armed me with the courage to say this doesn't work for me. And also knowledge that what works for me is different. And that's okay. Yeah, I don't think it has made me... I was just thinking, so I was trying to read a book at the weekend. and But it's made me make exceptions for reading a book. Like I, it's, I can read a book outside much easier than I can read a book inside <laughs> because I need that fresh air to just keep me awake a bit. So I think I actually got through 22 pages at the weekend, which is like amazing. But it's actually made me change my behavior. Whereas before I would have thought, well, it's because you're tired. It's because you put in too long hours. Like, so of course, when you sit down and you stop, you are going to fall asleep. It's actually gone, no, that is not the case. This is something else. So figure out another way to make it work for you. Um. So I don't want to ever use my dyslexic, dyslexic, <laughs> dyslexia as an excuse. Um, but I think I'm the only one that would know that. So I don't think anyone should. Um, I don't think anyone could ever judge another person for saying, hey, I'm dyslexic. This doesn't work for me. Only you would know if you're actually using that as an excuse or as a reason. Um, and some of the times I I sort of do it as a, because I know, and we called them franisms when we were filming Lego Masters. And I've noticed a lot in terms of when I say things, they make perfect sense when they're said. As soon as they are written down, they are gobbledygook. And so when I've seen transcripts of the stuff that I've said presenting, I'm like, that makes like, why would anyone say that? But when you're actually filmed and the context in which you say it and the the annotation that you use, it makes total sense. And actually, um, yeah, Lego Masters, the, the exec, she was wonderful. And she was like, there's these few franisms that we've put in, um, which we sort of, and I can now see the edit around them. She's like, but we didn't spot them at the time. And I've sort of come up with this, like, yeah, it makes sense when I say it. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today. I know that you are super busy. So I really appreciate all the stories and the things that you shared with us. Um, thank you so much. I'm just, oh, I, this is what I get. Like, I, I, as soon as anyone asks me about myself, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, there's this, there's this, there's this. But in a way, I just want to sort of uh, not do it to sort of talk about myself. But because I'm so average, if you know what I mean, I'm, I just want people to know that if they're average, they've got, they can do this or do that, they do that. You know, I'm not, not from a rich family. I'm not from a media family. I, you know, I'm someone that's dyslexic that only figured it out when she's 37. So that was the humble and incredible Fran Scott. And this is unfortunately the end of season one. So if you've liked this season, leave us a review and fingers crossed for season two. If you have enjoyed this journey, talking to the people who shape the world around us, please share it with a friend, tell other people and thank you so much for listening.